All right. Welcome, everybody, to GTRTP, the LGBT TTRPG podcast. Did I say all that right? Yeah. You yeah. got oh it in God, one. For the first Nailed time it. ever. Blam. Um, I got it. The Gaming for Trans Rights Tabletop podcast. Uh, we are here uh, to talk to... Well, hold on. First of all, I'm Leah, and my pronouns are they, them. <laughs> uh, uh, with us, as always, is my co-host, John. Hello. My pronouns are he, him. Uh, playing uh, Ships That Pass, the, the first game we're, we're talking about uh, in this interview, uh, with John is Moss. Hello, I am Moss. I use they-them pronouns. Uh, and then joining me for the second game we're discussing, Weasels Are Illegal, uh, we're Lara. Hi, I'm Lara Page-Turner. I use she-her pronouns. And Ollie. Hi, I'm Ollie. I use he-him, he-them, and a-m pronouns. Uh, and the thing that those two games have in common were they were crafted uh, from the marrow of the content mine by the most uh, talented and wonderful creator, uh, Ash. Ash, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Hello, I'm Ash Cheshire. I use fae femme fair pronouns, and I am blushing like mad. <laughs> what a lovely intro. Thank you. <laughs> yes, we're so happy to have you on. Uh so we are, so uh, as Leah referenced earlier, we are coming back together after splitting the group and playing two different games uh, written by you, Ash. Um, and so I kind of figured we'd open up this, uh, I kind of figured we'd open up the interview by doing kind of like a, our like gush moment of just like what, what we found so great um, in each of our games. Uh, and so like, I mean, I can attest that um, Ships That Pass makes good stories. Um, Seconded, that, yeah. Uh-huh we like that game i was very interested about of it like looking in because i've never seen a game formatted in almost kind of like a a a diy script format where it's like here's scene one two three and here's what they are going to be in the and like the dramatis personae for each of them but like it wasn't nearly it didn't turn out nearly as rigid as i thought it was going to be it actually like that structure lended itself very well to um natural building of like tension um and like uh like that the separation of these characters and the fleeting moments that they have like connecting and passing with each other like it just made for great stuff every single time um like i i i had a a wonderful time playing your game yeah to add to the yeah to add to the gushing about ships that pass um John and I kind of reflected on this in the episodes of the two of us. I'm the one who has a bit more background playing like duo games and like romantic mm-hmm. or like kind of socially intimate uh, games. And it absolutely hit all the buttons for me that I enjoy <laughs> having those games hit. You um, you built into the structure of the game like automatic tension points and like structural conflicts that the characters were going to have to explore. But you also really intentionally laid out like ways to encourage us to like have the characters be kind to each other or attempt to help each other even when it was hard or complicated there was like an active invitation it's like hey your human pilots are at least some in some ways going to attempt to be active accomplices to the needs of their ships even though that goes against like dominant like governmental and economic norms of the world that you're in I would love to talk about how you have written some of like the motivations into the the story because I think that those mm-hmm. helped guide guide like both of us immensely uh, and helps yeah. also like establish a it helps establish a tone that feels good to play in is like I, I think I talked about how like stories like this I think could go in uh, like speculative sci-fi is a def- is a 
difficult area to play around in, especially with improv. And it's pretty easy to get into some tones and some that don't feel good and some vibes that are rancid. Um, and I think that like there a lot of the a lot of the stuff that you've written in there for like the motivations for each specific character that you know there is an inherent. Oh, oh, I said we'll get into this later, and I'm getting into it now. Ah, <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, Go yes, for it. Uh, I, I think that's great. Thank you, thank you so much. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's always so exciting when other people um, encounter my games uh, in in the ways that I've sort of the intention that I put them out with. Mm-hmm. Um, and having, a, I, I imagine, I think about the structure of my games kind of like, um, you know, those big like geodesic dome climby things. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. I imagine sort of like giant jungle gym structures for my games. And I want my players to be able to navigate them with whatever, whatever skill and confidence they currently have. So, like, if you want to stroll directly across the middle of the jungle gym and just look up and look at everything and be like, wow, this is really cool. And I told a really nice linear story. I still want that to be accessible and fun. If you are someone who goes to the park, like, every single day and you are an Olympic gymnast, I want there to be, like, far-reaching things. You can do double flips. You can add all of your personal flair and stuff to the way that you move through that space. And still feel like there were, you knew where the next handhold was going to be, so you knew how much style you could put in. What a cool design philosophy. I absolutely want to dissect that some more. Um, <laughs> sure. That's, that, Agreed. that's really neat. In 20 years, someone's going to be majoring in tabletop design, and they're going to be citing, like, the Cheshire Jungle Gym principle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the dome theory. Yeah. <laughs> the Cheshire Dome theory. The Cheshire Jungle Gym. Oh, <laughs> So I have um, I have some background as a drama therapist. I got my master's in counseling psych. I worked as a drama therapist for quite some time. Oh, no kidding. And so I think that also influences the way that I, I structure opportunities for narrative, because um, particularly when I was working with kids, but, well, I was going to say particularly, but actually now that I think about it, kids are a lot easier in this respect than adults. Um, <laughs> when I was doing drama therapy with adults, I had to I had to build an environment that was so inviting that they couldn't help but step into the imaginary space with me Mm. and when people Mm. come to you for therapy they're not feeling inherently playful so in a lot of ways like figuring out how to make a space inviting to someone who was coming for therapeutic reasons has made writing games for people who willingly and actively seek out an opportunity for play like Mm -hmm. it feels like i get to you know be willy wonka basically where i'm just like yay This a bunch of the so work great. is already like, established. Much, yeah, right. Like, because <laughs> a, a huge amount of it is is where you meet the 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 other person, and a lot of the instructions that I put into ships that pass are there so that I'm kind of in the game talking to the players, so that I'm with mm-hmm. you in the swamps of sad. No, um, that I'm I'm <laughs> with you in that sort of bastion, never ending story kind of way, where like the text that I leave behind makes it very clear what my intentions for your experience are. So when I say things like, you know, in one of the one of the scenes, the goal is to resist, is to rebel, is to mm-hmm. fight against the system to protect this person who you recognize as a person, even though the, yes. the, the governing system definitely does not and sees them simply as an aberration that needs to be remedied. 
and the metaphors are manifold and I think are very um, Mm -hmm. available to those who resonate with them. Um, But that's a big piece of it is that I wanted to create with this game in particular, like when the idea occurred to me, um, which actually came from a meme. I don't know if y'all have ever seen Ah. the meme of um, it's, it's this huge, beautiful, like freighter ship and this tiny little ship going past and the the message the the story is that the little ship going by sent a message to the big one that just said you are so beautiful they were just like what a gorgeous ship and someone was like guys it's a ship ship and i was like it's a ship ship (laughs) and so that pretty much you know that 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 was the beginning of ships that pass was just this idea that's amazing incredible right yeah. and and this notion of like no one is out of your league if you believe in yourself kind of thing <laughs> you know like this is the... if you can communicate genuinely <laughs> yes exactly right yeah. if you can find you know if you can find a way to send these messages and um and and i wanted to build that into the core of it and then i realized that for these ships to have that opportunity their pilots were going to have to be colluders with them they were gonna have to uh, mm-hmm. join them in that like that rebellious act of i want to revolutionary change my flight pattern revolutionary women. yeah yes exactly right <laughs> and so as i started to write it i realized that i had this really lovely opportunity of building the attractive like come and play with me of let's be queer ships in love with each other and then inside that is a, a sort of therapeutic or healing or possibly um uh sort of understanding expanding opportunity of experiencing what it is to be an ally for someone who is Mm -hmm. who needs your support in order for them to have what you can just kind of have um yeah and additional to that i then built in for the agents of the man that you can even from within an oppressive structure you can be an agent of of liberation you can rebel you can do little things so Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, exactly. This is this is precisely what I was touching on earlier with like by tone and instruction, you put people immediately in the in the pilot seat, haha, to be <laughs> empathetic um, to the players that they are playing with and to ostensibly themselves um, in yeah. the situation of the pe- of people playing the man and the ship that totally. they are investigating. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, which I think immediately sets a a good a good and constructive tone within the narratives that this game builds it's something i deeply appreciate thank you yeah i um i think of this one as as one of the the really hopeful duet games where it is it is very much looking to build a a hopeful environment in which and i think there's also in rotating through all of the different character positions potentially there's a lot Mm -hmm. of empathy building there as well where you are alternating between playing a ship and playing another person's ship's captain. You're, you know, sometimes you're going to have to be the man, you know, and and realizing, like, as I was writing it, I realized that some of the interesting things that happen in this is when you are inadvertently kind of advocating for yourself because you are playing a character who is talking about another character you play or whatever. So there's this mm-hmm. this multi-layered kind of practicing of of how to extend that allyship to one another how to acknowledge that we deserve it a lot of a lot of just like very pro-social intentions that i built into this game for queer community Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and, and me and Moss really loved taking that and trying as hard as we possibly could to make it uh, tragic and stressful. Yep, um. yep. That's the other fun <laughs> yeah. thing with it is you can absolutely try and be sad for fun. <laughs> yeah, we went. It was interesting too because like we, I we'll see like what pieces land in the the final edit. But I know like we we had some intentional pauses and check ins to figure out like how oh, yeah. sad are we going to be and where are we taking it. Yeah. And how do we feel about that? And how do we pace it in a way that works to make it Big ultimately steps back hopeful? Together. Yeah. Which was also, I think, especially interesting for me because, as I said to John then, like, I really like games that end horribly and tragically. That's a genre right. I'm very into. I don't always feel like playing it, but I love Downfall. I love Starcrossed. <laughs> like, you know, there's games where you're like, you know, society will crumble, or like, this couple really shouldn't be together. And if they do manage to express their feelings, like, that won't necessarily end well for them. Even mm-hmm. if they get the catharsis of having expressed the feelings. And, you know, I love Fiasco. Like, there, totally. I play a lot of games that where you know you could die or end tragically, or maybe even you're required to. For and sure. so it was, it was interesting. I think it was, I felt like I was able to usefully bring the tools from that kind of gameplay into this, but also that your tone setting and structuring of the goals of scenes and the motives of characters helped us support building a narrative that went through some really tense and gnarly places and Mm -hmm. popped out the other side in a more hopeful direction, even though in the midsection we had the fears of surveillance and the betrayal of realizing that you are, you have accidentally colluded against your workplace with um, (laughs) a rebel force and also performing, um, you know, emergency surgery on your best friend so that they're not oh, that hasn't wiped been their whole yet. personality that... <laughs> yeah i like yeah. literally started crying while we were <laughs> talking oh through God. the lead up to that scene like yeah. i got choked up in character and i was choked up in real life I, wow it's yeah it gets really juicy um, yeah i i i adore the story that we told together moss mm-hmm. um i feel the same I, yeah, but now I want to hear from uh, Leah. I want to hear from y'all in uh, Weasels. I want to hear about How was Weasels. I think it is very uh, easy to segue away from this very intense, very structured and nuanced <laughs> game. There were, th- there were tears, there are check-ins. Let's talk about putting Weasels in a trench coat, shall we? Uh-huh. Beautiful. <laughs> yes. And, uh, and, and, the, and the gift shops you ruin along the way. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I mean... <laughs> Uh, so the mechanics are really great. I mean, it's something that I really loved in uh, Lara's game, too, where a lot of it just comes down to, like, you know, it dictate a very cool, fun thing to do, and then the dice just kind of decide if you succeed or fail, but it doesn't matter so much because it's going to be fun either way. Totally. And if you weasel panic, that's going to be hilarious. <laughs> so I don't know. It's it's Whereas John and Moss love high-stress games, I love these little... And, and, you know, it's set against this very dystopian backdrop, um, but, like, it's just silly and fun, uh, and we had a lot of silly fun doing it, you know, um, bumping into people, screaming at humans, trying to blend in, you know. Um, Bumbling yeah, our way to victory, kind of against our, uh, against our natures. Um, starting, starting a, a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The worst move possible. <laughs> Amazing. Very meta yeah. of you. That, that's, that was our tragic ending. We started a podcast. <laughs> yeah. I'm so sorry. Uh, well, yeah, what, what a failed role. It's a saturated market. 
it's like, well, okay, you have you have these three items at the end, and then you get you get those little like pieces to play with to try and figure out what you do, which is great. <laughs> um, yeah, let's see. I wonder. So we, we played four of the scenes, so we missed out on two. But the four we played, I mean, were really cool. Like I, I never would have thought of museum gift shop, and obviously the weasels weren't either because that's the one we failed hardest at. <laughs> um, <laughs> And it's also the reason uh, I had to put bugs as the content warning uh, at the beginning, <laughs> but and a little body horror because we do describe, <laughs> you know, it's like yes, we know we're four weasels in a trench coat, but to everyone else, it looks like I just like exuded a key from my <laughs> flesh stomach. <laughs> but also, and it was the you know how museum curators are. Um, <laughs> Totes. The thing about Always. museum curators is their head comes right off. It's Always losing their heads. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so it, it lends itself to be really fun. And whereas, you know, because we split the party here, I figure, oh, John and Moss will do this two-player game. Uh, I expected this one to be the longer session, actually. Um, but no, it's a great, like, one-shot. It's, it's you know, it, it's straightforward, but there's tons of room to, like, play. Um, yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, I I just got to listen to it before uh before we started our call here. I was able to to finish it up and um it's phenomenal. I loved your playthrough. Um one of the Thanks. things similar to uh things that I was talking about with the kind of dimensional structure of games, like this was one of my earliest game designs that I've been kind of refining and revising and um I have plans in the near future to do a uh like a a fundraised special edition of it with printed cards and like a bandana screen print with the trench coat and the locations and little like discs that you can pull out of a bag that'll be the the weasels in the trench coat and like just you know make it a little bit a little bit jogier but um and we got to see some very good art for that's that. true yes. yeah y'all got Listener, to see some oh of the preliminary God, art you're gonna get there eventually <sighs> i love it so much so um good. But it was it was an interesting concept. Like the idea occurred to me. Um, this one was not from a meme. This was just I, I don't even remember the full <laughs> source of this one at this point. But um, the name came to me first, and uh, and then kind of the concept around it of these weasels who've been declared illegal rather unexpectedly, um, and having to rush around and and deal with that. Um, and it's it's. Uh, this one is, in some ways, this is a game about uh, about passing and masking. Um, it's about uh, the uh, the multiple different sort of voices in your head that you have to manage when you're trying to look like a normal human among other normal humans and try to get somewhere safe. Um, and again, it was sort of an attempt to create a fun a fun uh, playground to practice that experience and loosen it up a little. Do we have any, um, any, uh, uh, language restrictions on the pod? Can I drop an F bomb? Oh, fuck no. drop an so, um, yeah. one of the things that I've brought with me from my drama therapy days is, um, something that I used to tell my clients, which was, uh, things are really fucked up. Like you have a lot of fucked upness that you are dealing with right now. I want to compact that so that it goes from fucked upness to F U N so that we can just have some fun with it and that's going to make it more bearable like if we can if we can create an environment where you can 
get some of that out of your system in a fun way, mm-hmm. it makes it less oppressive. And so, like, I bring a lot of that into my games. And so even though this one on the surface, again, looks like a very silly, lighthearted kind of thing, it comes from that place of feeling fragmented and feeling mm-hmm. inauthentic and feeling confused and buffeted by the world. And... um and so it, you know, it has this kind of built-in thing. And I knew with this one, I wanted it to be a game that could be played by kids as young as possible. Like, I wanted this to be a game that would be accessible to an entire family's range of ages, mm-hmm. so that a, a family system could sit down and play this. Um, it was, uh, you know, it was one of the ones that I was kind of, as I was transitioning out of therapeutic work and into full-time game design, it was one of the ones that I was working on of like, maybe I can use this with my clients and then I can pretend that I'm doing this for my real, my real <laughs> job. And then I decided to make my fake job my real job. Um, and, but, um, Hell yeah. that's the goal. Yeah. You know, it, it was, yeah, it came out of, yeah, out of some, some confusion and feelings of. Uh, you know, I feel like I'm masking all the time. And um, yeah, it kind of turned into this, like, I feel like I feel like five weasels in a trench coat. How can I make that interesting for myself? <laughs> and it turns out that the answer most of the time these days is write it as a game. Yep. <laughs> write it out, figure out what <laughs> the rules are, control it, turn it into something that can be used for fun purposes. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, I have this thing I've caught myself doing recently where every time uh, it's not even conscious, but every time there's something I have to do that I don't want to do in my head, I go, okay, so the game is, yeah. and then I just list out exactly what I have to do. And it's so silly and means almost nothing, but it always makes it a little more palatable. Totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mary yeah, Poppins. One of my, but... Yeah. One of my early games is essentially just, it's a solo LARP and you play it by cooking, even though you're missing some ingredients you really wish you had. Um, I just very lightly mechanized that. Then the pandemic hit, and that game became more uncomfortably relevant Ooh. than we planned it to be. <laughs> yeah, but, the games you know, you can turn on us. That. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah. I will say it's really, it's not surprising, but it is really fascinating and lovely to essentially know and be noticing, like, both of the games we played have very different tones, but they both have big thematic elements around passing and masking. Totally. I mean, in ships that pass, it's also in the the the, the pun layer is in the title. Like, yeah. let, let's let's take a second to savor it because we already noted like the ship ship, like the act. Oh of, yeah, like, of... D- delicious density of puns. By the way, no less than three in the title. Thank yeah, because then yeah. passing in terms of moving past each other, but also right. also the neurodivergent vibes of passing, and yeah. also the trans vibes of passing, which right. obviously we noted in our playthrough because totally. we're, that this podcast has trans perspectives as a key part of it and i in particular was playing a ship that had been radically repurposed for new and multiple times over um Mm -hmm. and yeah that was like an important (laughs) and and engaging part of what my experience of being the ship the osprey was yeah. mining vessel with an arrow to military uh military scout with an arrow to smuggler, smuggler and then ship. i also had to pass as like my old self totally because yeah. i still had the communication signatures right of a marlin incorporated mining vessel <laughs> and layers so i had to pretend layers. yeah yeah it was very good yeah, actually, it it's it's interesting because I'm thinking through. I'm like, well, it's probably a theme in a lot of my games because it's gonna, you know, 
<laughs> where it comes from. They they take after mm-hmm. there. But um, <laughs> yeah. I think you did. Y'all picked two of them that have that as a very central theme to it. Um, and yeah, and it's it's again, it's it's very much about creating those opportunities to do that consciously and raise awareness mm-hmm. of those patterns uh, in the hopes of, you know, like learning a little something about ourselves and you know having those kinds of reflections of like oh wow yeah look what i put into my ship or um you know one of my favorite things about writing games like this and giving them a fairly light mechanical touch and just really trying to give very um evocative suggestions in the instructions uh is when someone comes back and like tells me about something that they that the game you know in a lot of times they tell me that the game revealed this to them like you showed me Uh, that i'm like no 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 i just made a park and then you ran around and discovered that you can do cartwheels or you know i i just (laughs) set down some paper and then you discovered that you really like finger painting like i am so glad that you had this experience and i'm so glad that i was able to facilitate this for you but you're the one who did this you are the good storyteller i had someone tell me like I've never been able to tell a good story and your game let me do that. I'm like, (laughs) you had it. It wasn't a magic hubcap. (laughs) (laughs) The power was within you all along. Right. But not to downplay, I think like the wonderful tools that you have laid out for, uh, for people like that. Like I, it's a really nice full fledged park. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Your it's well game. scaffolded. It's up to code. <laughs> yeah, your games set people up for success in extremely like streamlined ways. Um, yeah, they they are prompted and and ready to go to make good and evocative and empathetic stories. Thank you. So, uh, with that, I guess do we want to get uh, into discussions about like the design of these games? I was going to ask our <clears throat> our favorite question to ask on this show is what are your favorite dragon related pieces of media? That too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my favorite dragon related pieces of media. <laughs> yeah. becoming a we make diminishing returns over time. <laughs> so good. There are so many good dragon stories. I have always loved Pete's dragon. Um, Mm -hmm. that was a favorite from childhood onwards. Um, I've always had a, uh, a very soft spot for people who can see friends that other people can't see. Um, and there's, there's something really lovely about that, that aspect of that story. Um, since we're here, I did not appreciate the remake. Um, (laughs) (laughs) but the original Pete's Dragon is lovely. Um, some other dragon related things spirited away just came to mind um i absolutely adore that movie and the 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 metaphor of haku as uh spoiler alert for spirited away i suppose um (laughs) as a nature spirit as a spirit of a river um is so it's just everything about that movie is Mm -hmm. so gorgeous but something i really appreciate about studio ghibli is the way that their movies really uh build a a beautiful world a natural world and then invite Mm -hmm. you to recognize how much we don't appreciate that and Mm -hmm. just teaches kids like so much environmental appreciation and recognition um so yeah that one yeah because i think that's a big thing for me with dragons is the 
the pervasiveness of that imagery throughout the world that there are dragons yeah. you know there's the dragon on the welsh flag there the the chinese you know kidding and 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 the japanese kidding and um you know uh, kind of old english dragons and then we get kind of you know this american mishmash of all of those things together um but the origin of it being just this this elemental force this like they can breathe fire what you know just this like incredible thing i think um i have so Puff the Magic Dragon is also now coming to mind as some favorite dragon <laughs> media. A lot of it is very, very old childhood stuff that I attach to very early. Yeah. Smog, of course, like mm-hmm. King Ooh. Dragon. Um, yeah. yeah. That's awesome. I, I, I love, yeah, I, I love you honing in on um, dragons as metaphor for uh, the forces of nature. Because um, I think that's where you get a lot of really cool, um, like, dragon media that that dips into like um surreal or fantastical uh, interpretation of even like dragon's reality where like this is this is a dragon and also a river uh it is both at the same time Mm -hmm. yeah Um. (laughs) yeah i mean i certainly love being a dragon who was also a mountain when we did yeah (laughs) of dragon hearts so i'm a fan of that lovely yeah yeah Oh, actually, I have a, I have a, I have sort of a follow-up question. Uh, yeah. Jumping off Excellent. of favorite dragon, um, well, this is going to be a two-part question. Part one is, what's your favorite spaceship-related media? Ooh. <laughs> okay, relevant. <laughs> um, yeah, I was certainly wondering about your spaceship uh, inspirations while playing ships that pass, especially because yeah, I think I rambled about about the like, a- and like he's like ancillary justice series. In a past episode, oh, it has there's such good ancillary justice vibes. Yeah, which is amazing. <laughs> I only recently read the first ancillary justice book and wrote this game long before I read it. Um, but yeah, I, I can definitely see that now. Um, the first one that comes to mind. So, so this is a show that like has a lot of issues, but specifically spaceship related. I really love the living spaceships in Farscape. Moya in particular. Mm-hmm. I think she is gorgeous and amazing. Her relationship with Pilot is fascinating to me. Um, the way that Moya and Pilot communicate inspired a little bit about the relationship between the pilot and the ship in Ships That Pass. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that's a that's a big one. Um, I also really like, uh, again, a, a <laughs> spaceship specifically from uh, wow, I can't even remember the name of the show now. Hold on. Uh, Firefly. I was like, the ship is named ah, Serenity, yeah. but that's not the name of the show. Firefly. Yeah. <laughs> it's a Firefly class ship. I really liked mm-hmm. the way that we got to see kind of the equivalent of like the junky old Toyota pickups out in space in yeah. Firefly that you don't really get to see a lot. Like after space travel has become somewhat normalized and there are like all mm-hmm. of the different classes. I thought that was really fun. Um, I liked that aspect of it. I enjoy ships that Red Dwarf is another one that I love the ship, the spaceship aspect of it. Um, because of the quirkiness of of the AI on ship, like the you know Holly is mm-hmm. has been by himself for so long that by the time they finally wake up Lister, Holly has really gone around the bend and and is quite yep. eccentric and has just been kind of entertaining himself for millions of years. Um, yep. So the dealing with a living human person is a really wild shift. A to new, to a new to. idea. Yeah, and mm-hmm. having yep. to talk so slow. <laughs> like, <come laughs> yeah. Um, so I think yeah, I think that kind of uh, those sorts of media where where there's something 
something that um, allows the ship to have some agency and some character. I really enjoy um, April Walsh, who wrote Thirsty Sword Lesbians, um, has been working for a while on a game that is uh, a crew that is taking a sentient spaceship to its final resting place. Oh, um, damn. And like deep feels, super sweet, super sad, found fa- like just an incredible premise. I can't wait to play it. I almost want that to get laid out. That sounds like something that you could lay out on like a beautiful scroll, like Fall of Magic. Totally right. <laughs> you know? Just yeah. a, another game about like going to the end or the death of something, yeah. potentially. <laughs> That's a gorgeous game. That would, yeah, that would be really amazing, right? So you could linger as long as you wanted and kind of take your time mm-hmm. telling it through. Um, but yeah. yeah, so I think I also, those are some of my favorite spaceship, yeah. spaceship ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, spaceships that popped in my brain while you were talking. There's not like spaceship AI factors in this one as much, but my favorite episode of Cowboy Bebop is the one with the space truckers. Yeah. And just the aesthetics, when you're talking about like the sort of junky Toyota pickup equivalents, the aesthetics of space trucker, like long distance freight hauling in outer space, just every brief like couple of second long shot of the cabin interior of like the pilot seat in the in the space trucks was just so richly full of ephemera you just yeah. got like a a high octane dose of the entire like side character's personality in like the moments you'd flash to their cockpits cockpits um, are such a neat another so another one that I don't play at all but I love watching my wife play is uh, elite dangerous and oh and that space trucking the game oh it's amazing <laughs> and when i started seeing uh z was unlocking like little things you can put on your dashboard there's like special things you can decorate your little cockpit with and i was i went from this is super cool i'm glad you're enjoying it to maybe i kind of want to play this game now <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> wow like being a sims player who just builds houses and doesn't play with the characters <laughs> like if you can just oh do God. some dashboard design I know, like, the the energies and, like, design elements of the cockpit did come up in our game, too. Like, not in hyper detail, but, um... No, Lev's cockpit is absolutely a tone setter. Yeah, um, yeah, like, Captain Lev and the Osprey, the, the main things we know about the cockpit is that, um, Lev sleeps there. Yep, The chair has lost chair. all its, like, comfortable support and padding probably years ago, and there are no automatic doors on the ship. Um, so the doors slam open and close when Lev comes in. Yeah. Um, and at one point he also dents an interior wall. And <laughs> then when it's, um, when it's Stilato and the, is it, is it Xanarchand? Yeah. Um, uh, when it's Stilato and the Xanarchand, uh, the main thing we know is that just there's a wild ass amount of data displays always. Yeah. And because of Stilato and the Xanarchand's combined mutual special interest, one of those data displays is always soil sample related data uh-huh. always from anything they're looking at <laughs> there's all that that array is always tucked in the bottom corner <laughs> so was i just projecting madly or was that ship super autistic coded as well because i felt so oh god yeah by the, like, <laughs> i have all of this information and no one around to tell mm-hmm. it to look someone to talk to i will send yeah, you yeah xanarkand's love language is info dumping <laughs> i am going to info dump at you now yeah, yeah. xanarkand is absolute was absolutely like and written is the wrong word, but like, um, you know, enacted enact. Exactly. Uh, Xanarkand was enacted very much to lean into my own kind of like tendency, uh, my own like, uh, 
tendency and joy of finding someone to just like go off about whatever I'm interested in right now. Um, and like Xanarkand definitely like having that, like having that and uh, turning that dial up. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Stilato is definitely neurodivergent too. This is the rep I <laughs> yeah. need. I want, I love. This is so good. Yeah. Yeah, we essentially had neurodivergent spaceship, neurodivergent yep. pilot, yeah. friendship, solidarity. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to listening Super to the good. second half. I haven't had a chance to finish it just yet, but oh, I'm so excited for so you too. Excited. Yeah. Uh, which wait? Which parts have you listened to? I guess one and two. I listened to part one, and I've listened to the Weasels episode. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Ooh, so you got a lot ahead of you. Yeah, That's gonna be do. I'm excited. Con- we got a lot of yeah. content. Um, it's going to be great. <laughs> um, yeah, so there's an episode two and an episode three, and I heard at the beginning of this podcast that there's going to be many more, apparently. <laughs> so oh at least one or two more. We, we recorded for a long time. Y'all are amazing. Yeah. We're chatty bastards. <laughs> and you got us invested, Ash. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, we needed to tell the games. story fully and well. <laughs> And the dice wouldn't let us c- continue the plot. <laughs> we kept we kept not getting caught by the man. That that can happen. Yeah, it was yeah. very funny. We we because we were both like uh, designing our ships at the beginning with the explicit intention of like having like separate die pools such that like you'd, it's just that like oh we're gonna be like running yeah, into the man suit like, and driving daring. towards conflict. You're gonna be like really high navigability. I remember yeah. At the and then I roll. Like, yeah. Let's make it really hard on ourselves. <laughs> uh-huh. And then I roll ones on my D eight. <laughs> yeah. And our yeah, ships just kept cozying right up, up to each other. <laughs> like, yeah. well, we didn't have to. We didn't have to alter our flight paths. Didn't have to veer so far. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what do you, what do you all think? Because my games are kind of living documents. Um, what mm-hmm. would you think of putting in an optional rule for some kind of progress clock that just sort of says like, if you haven't, you know, if you haven't been noticed at, at the end of, mm-hmm. you know, each round, just kind of mark one, and that's that's the countdown to a, like maybe a scheduled check-in from the man or some such thing. Yeah, I I think it could even be as simple as like I I know you have like these like sub prompts amongst mm-hmm. each scene, uh, talk, talking about like what is the potential of each of these, and I think it could be as easy as like another bullet there, which which is talking about like like if like if enough time has passed mm-hmm. that um uh then or it seems dramatically appropriate maybe it's time to introduce the man totally. um yeah is that that's we considered we that at one point like well yeah uh, yeah we didn't actually end up like hard pushing that way but we found wonderful like narrative ways to kind of to kind of like tilt the game to making it happen you know to nice. find reasons to play with the dice such that we affect sure. our odds yeah nice. yeah, yeah. We found mechanical ways to en- enact that uh, yeah. result. Well, and I want to make it very clear that in ships that pass, um, absolutely, you are allowed to make your own, like, as players, please make those decisions. In fact, in every oh, single yeah. game of mine, except for Weasels are Illegal, I, I allow players <laughs> to make their own executive decisions, and I think it's brilliant. The only game <laughs> I would be offended at someone changing that, and in fact, I would consider it cheating, would probably be Weasels. I am totally kidding. <laughs> If you're listening to this and you haven't listened to the Weasels episode yet, that'll be funny later. Um, (laughs) So yeah, I I think it's, I think it's wonderful when players, and it's something that I'm trying to put more explicitly into the instructions. So I I absolutely, uh, I'm so grateful for that suggestion of like just putting it in as a bullet point of saying, you know, make your own decisions, make your own fun. 
I am your tour guide through this little park, but I am I am not, you know, your authority yeah. figure. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would also say, like, I do love, too, the one particular point where you explicitly tell people not to confer. The fact mm. that the flight path changes. Yes. Yeah are something that you do without knowing to what degree the other ship is going to have to alter their flight path. Yep. And that was fun because sometimes we're like, oh yeah, that's what we thought. And sometimes we surprised each other. Mm-hmm. And the tonalities of that were very cool and felt just like a very good mechanical reflection of the fact that, yeah, the ships can't confer. We're right. trying to figure out how to get our flight paths back close to each other, but we're not close to each other now, so we don't know what the other ship is doing. Right. Mm-hmm. Or what their key motives or decision-making processes are right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, so I guess I, to dig a little bit further into it, now that we're talking about those uh, sweet, sweet mechanics, um, uh, how did you originally kind of like develop the structure for ships that pass? Like, where'd you get this idea for a for like um, spe- specific scenes, the order in which they occur and the triggers for those events? Uh, it, it's, a, it's not a format that I've seen in a game yet. Yeah, it's um, it's a format that I'm. It, it's inspired by a few different things, and I will do my best to give credit to as as many of them as I can while I'm thinking about it here. Um, but it's also a format that, um, as as with many drama therapists, I I am also a a a, a chronic theater kid, um, mm-hmm. and uh, so a lot of it is also um. I think inspired by some of my theatrical experience and you know, that definitely the script format is Mm -hmm. obviously directly inspired by that. Um, But it's also, uh, it's, it's a bit inspired by uh, uh, Meg and Vincent Baker's game Firebrands frame zero. Um, I wondered about that. The sort of modular scene. The the scenes, the scenes are kind of like mini games. Um, the, the recursion of coming back to certain things and then having branching, um, is, is very influenced by my appreciation of choose your own adventure books, um, uh, adventure, uh, puzzle RPGs where, you know, you're kind of going down different branching paths. Um, so I think in those formats a lot, cause I grew up playing a lot of those and reading a ton of choose your own adventure books as a kid. Um. And then it's also the way that I structure it is, again, kind of imagining this this dimensional space that a game exists in conceptually. Um, mm-hmm. I, I will imagine through kind of a, a generalized story arc. Um, I, will, I will think through, okay, so what are, what are some major points that I would want to hit in the story? of of these two ships that are getting to know each other and developing a crush and asking their pilots to support them and um and so the pieces start to come in that way um and then i'm i'm trying to think in as broad of terms as possible so that as many different stories can be told um yeah so that's that's kind of how the structure started to come together and then i have I have uh, elaborated on it in different ways in each of the duet games that I write. It's something that I've been really enjoying doing lately um, Mm -hmm. is I now have a whole collection of them on my itch. uh, So you can get all of them as a bundle if you want, but it's also just easy for me to just give someone a link and just be like, here are all the the duet duet games. games. This is what I'm talking about. Um, 
where it's the interplay back and forth. And what I'm looking to do is create a very lightly structured conversation that two people can have that will allow a, a contained space for fictional version of real feelings. Um, so in my mind, like this is the kind of thing that I might propose to someone that I want to get to know better. I would say, mm -hmm. you know, hey, would you like to play a duet game? I have a bunch of them. You know, here here are a bunch of different ones. Do you want to play Very Good Sir? We can be a, a butler and a bachelor. Do you want to play, you know, <laughs> do you want to both be, uh, you know, ships in space? Do you want to be this or that? And so it's it's looking, you want to be a human who found an alien seed and started to grow it and then discovered that it wants your blood. Um, <laughs> do you want to basically play like a different story of, of Little Shop of Horrors kind of thing? Yeah, um, so in each of them, there's all these different kind of potential relationships. And uh, I find that, um, you know, as... Uh, in, in case it hasn't become clear um, through some of the things I've said, even just in this interview, um, I, I am autistic and um, structured means of interacting with other people makes it safer for me to unmask because I'm not being mm. held to ordinary social standards. So if I'm playing a character um, who can express themselves in an extraordinary and strange way, then it's not going to throw the other person off by me just doing that because it's what I'm in the mood to do right now. Yeah, um, there's like this shared expectation or rather like a shared kind of like buy-in and removal of expectation that I, I, I think that's really, that I think that's really beautiful that you try and tap into um, as I, I deeply appreciate that. It's it, so often I think like all the people really need is like the right prompt to uh, like, talk about what they're interested in or to <laughs> talk about Xanarchand again. Um, totally. Yeah, yeah. Just like the, the right, the right prompt to like begin speaking freely or the right signal to, and to know that, Hey, it's okay for you to geek out about this. Um, and it's okay for you to like express these feelings openly. Yeah. That also, that makes me very actively think about, I've, I've both talked about and sometimes joked with people about this. And at one point, like at the end of a convention, like sat down with a couple people and really tried to like talk through some of the reasons why we think this happens. But just the the big center of the Venn diagram of experiences of queerness, transness, polyamory, kink, and role playing game mm -hmm. aficionados, and like there's both you know those don't always overlap and there's many different ways of being. But also like I think the thing that's in the center of the Venn diagram is broken off of standardized social norms but invested in actively talking about what scripts and norms you do and don't want to build together because you can't <laughs> assume the most standard ones. And so you have to talk about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Communication that, is at the center yeah. of all of those. Absolutely. Yeah. Bu building a new reality of norms to create mm -hmm. a space that you want to occupy. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and the, the kind of, um, that, that back and forth aspect of communication of when when you sit down to play a game with someone um, you're you're open to them creating this new character putting out this new yes. stuff in ways mm -hmm. that I think we forget to be open to each other being um, outside of kind of a play space right outside of a game space um, 
And so that's also something that I think is is really enjoyable for me is is the shared agreement that we're going to we're here to we are here to do something unexpected. We're here to build something fun and strange and mm-hmm. um, and not, you know, we're not trying to recreate the things that we have to do outside of this space. We're, in fact, looking mm-hmm. to build a different kind of opportunity. <laughs> But then at the same time, also uh, explore those things that you have to do in the outside space. I mean, like, you know, to immediately thinking, I'm immediately thinking about, you know, wizards are illegal and like right. the gamification of masking. Um, so, you know, it, 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 it isn't like creating these spaces immediately, like inherently totally divorces you from those uh, aspects as well. Sometimes, you know, it becomes a medium by which it might be further uh, expounded upon. Absolutely. Um, but in a safer way. Um, yeah in, yeah in a more digestible way yeah and and in in that way i think they my games i i try to build spaces and sometimes it can't be the same game but i try to create opportunities for mm-hmm. um for people with marginalized experience to find some comfort and some respite um like the game that laura and i wrote together uh the magical repair shop feels to me very much like a game of um like queer healing and and compassion and protection it is it is purely Ash, i don't know a game what you're talking about... about it's a game about wizards <laughs> I'm so sorry. it's about wizards it's a game about it's a, no it's subtext nothing queer about wizards ash try again <laughs> i i, I want to hear more about this game uh it's uh so uh, yeah it was it was games, a zine quest amended game. by mages series oh and uh we started them in zine quest um several years ago uh and have written a couple of them and they're they yeah they're also um very firebrands inspired they're little um it's a collection of little mini games through which you tell a story together and in the magical repair shop you're telling a story about mage artisans who repair broken objects and people come to you and they bring you this precious magical object. They tell you what's going wrong with it. And then you fix it and you work together with your fellow artisans in the repair shop to do that. It's inspired by the PBS show, um, but <laughs> with extra magic. Um, nice. nice. And so, you know, I think about some of our games, you know, or, or <laughs> our games, Laura's and mine, and uh, some of my games, uh, I try to create that kind of a sanctuary space. Um and mm-hmm. then there are also games where I'm looking to build uh, an environment of um, kind of rehearsal for real life struggle, uh, a place to experiment with different approaches, a place to try something different, try something new, see what happens, mm-hmm. see how people respond. Um, and those are much more out of um, my theatrical background, my background in training in uh, certain forms of, of social justice theater. Um, Mm -hmm. forum theater or theater of the oppressed are some of the real foundational um, developments that led to these sorts of things where you know you would have uh, these directors who would call people up it comes out of you know there's also like psychodrama kind of informed this where you're bringing people out of the audience to come and join the performance because there's let's say there's a scene on the stage where um, the cops are oppressing a group of people and not letting them speak out or whatever and they will literally reach out to the audience and say what should we do what do we do please help us and encourage people to actively get involved and and let people practice that act because the bystander effect is so hard to break that even in a performance people are like should i 
I mean, they're, mm-hmm. they're really like, he really seems to be reaching for my hand right now. And so that, that just that practice of like going from passive into active can be so helpful in recognizing that if I can take action in this controlled environment, if I can step up on the stage and tell these people, no, listen, they're not allowed to do this. You have rights. Or yes, let's fight back against them. Or, hey, let's try and get around behind them or whatever, you know, just try different things. Mm-hmm. And getting those kinds of that movement going for people can really help um, make it easier to take those scary kinds of steps when mm-hmm. the situation is real. And, Absolutely. you know, I'm not, I'm not writing games about building barricades, but I am writing games about learning how to acknowledge that, um, you know, I might have to stand between someone more marginalized than myself and an oppressive force and say, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. I don't know what you're talking about. I've never seen anyone like that of that description here, officer. No, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Come back with a warrant or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. so that mm-hmm. then if I have to do that for real, I'm, I'm more ready to do it. You're not starting from absolute scratch. You've built some neural pathways. Yeah. Yeah. I, there, I took a like LGBTQ focused, like free one session self-defense class at one point. And one of the things they had us practice was literally like practice the act of just shouting no really loud. And I remember the instructor saying some people will find, even if they are in crisis, that it is very hard to suddenly be loud if they have not actively practiced that. And she was like, we're going to practice being loud right now. Like your job is to try to be as loud as possible. Because you need to practice the physicality of that, because that is not a reflex that we all hold. That's amazing. Um, wow, and we need to so run intense. it through. And of course, like I'm very much of the opinion, like first aid training is LARP. Like <laughs> uh-huh. first aid trainings are just at that. That yep. is just LARPing. Yep. Um, they're literally giving you scenarios and like yeah. ritual, ritual oh, practices in, you have to do to run it through. In my know? in my LARP poisoned brain, day one job training is a LARP. Like, you know, oh, every yeah. day you put on <laughs> your, your business cosplay and, and you know, show up on a Zoom call is LARP. <laughs> I mean, all of you were saying, right? Like, when you have to do something, you don't have to. It's like, well, the game is. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> totally. I just started working yeah, absolutely. a retail job for the first time, and it feels like I'm LARPing. I have a script that I've made up for how to talk to every customer. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've seen people make like jo- joke but not really joke posts about that about how especially working retail is like being an NPC like limited number of phrases I can say if you go away and come back I will have forgotten you um, I may glitch out if you break the script I have been for my first few days I watched my coworkers and memorized what like scripts they had whether or not it was conscious and in my head i have like actual scripts that i have to go through so that i can get through yeah, the anxiety of absolutely. dealing with people i work at a comic book shop and i know nothing about comics which is very stressful i started working there because i love <laughs> yeah. rpg stuff um but people are nice. always like oh well um where can i find uh there's so many batman there's so many spider-mans so many batmans and so oh many spider-mans <laughs> <laughs> oh hot take we're gonna have a lot of angry nerds in I'm... our comments hey that's that's engagement <laughs> that's true yeah. as long as ollie's boss doesn't hear this one we're good <laughs> hey all i'm hearing is ollie saying hey i'm a very dedicated employee um... <laughs> welcome back to gtrtp where we say there are too many <laughs> It's breaking the drawers we uh, have our comics in because it's so heavy. Uh, but yeah, well, that's a whole... I, I want to say, uh, has anyone yet done a like very meta-layered game about like 
selling RPGs. Has anyone, like, done an RPG and comic shop employee RPG? No, but that sounds great. I'm sure there's stuff you could hack for it. That feels like an inevitability. But, yeah, it does have that kind of... (laughs) Mm -hmm. I have absolutely seen games about running, like, a music store. That's Uh, the thing. I know there's Damn the Man Save the Music. Oh, yeah. I know there's that. There's also, um, there are a bunch, a bunch of different people have made playsets for Fiasco that let you play out being at a convention. Huh. So... If yep. you ever want to enact the comic or game or anime convention experience and have it all go terribly wrong, a lot of people have written versions of that with varying levels of good and poor taste, I would say. Um, yeah. But it's Bring fiasco, that so that's kind home of with you. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's like things, so, so I actually like I got into like a weird niche of like convention fiction, like published convention novels. Huh. For the longest time, wow. I wanted to write a like murder mystery at like a furry convention. I mean, that sounds amazing. Like that. Um, but I've never <laughs> been to one, and this was in the time of the mm-hmm. pandemic. I was like, how yeah. do I access that space? So it's it's very cool that someone has like written stuff, uh, an RPG about like being at a convention. That's really mm-hmm. neat. Yeah. Um, I feel like there's often like a big drive to recreate social experiences mm-hmm. uh, through mechanics or through writing. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I, I always love that stuff. Like it's cool. And to kind of loop it, loop it back into our, to our guest in thematics here. I mean, like Ash, as you're saying, like so many of your games, something you're consciously thinking about is like practice for real life situations mm-hmm. and like the complexities of those and the ways that it can be useful and powerful and like narratively interesting to practice that. Um, and I think that I think about the lot too, because I would say like a thing that strikes me about your games, at least like the ones that I've engaged with are like the intentional degree of kindness built in, like the active communicative tone setting you're doing about like the ways that you are going to try to be kind to other characters, even if that means, you know, maybe you have to blow some stuff up in order to be kind right. to another character. <laughs> like, kindness is not, like, gentleness or softness or simplicity of approach, um, but, like, doing right by other people. Uh, and that that's definitely, like, you know, like, the whole concept of just, like, being a murder jerk is, like, a thing in the, the 5e space. Mm-hmm. Like, there are right. there are games that are predicated on or extremely amenable to just kind of stabbing your way through whatever obstacle um you reach i'm curious too like what are some of like the initial rpgs that you got to play or experience like what was your intro into that because i know for a lot of people it's D, but for a lot of us it isn't and i came in sure. through a non-D window so i'm always curious as to how other people landed where they land absolutely um so technically uh my first rpg was uh was D. Um, because my uh, my grandmother sent me the one of the very first box sets of D and D for Christmas when I was I think mm-hmm. eight or nine. Um, it is still uh, gathering dust on a shelf uh, in my <laughs> my childhood home. Um, uh, although I do have to this day in my dice collection, I do have the really not very good dice that came with that very first set because they're super nostalgic and that was pretty much the only thing i actively played with out of that box because Mm -hmm. um i was eight or nine um i did not have any other friends or like children or adults in my life at that point who were playing DD, who even knew what this was uh the my like my grandmother who sent it to me thought it was a board game about dragons which i was into and so you know i was was gonna say like what did your grandma how did she get to that place i bet alpha was written to be very accessible to eight to nine year olds yeah i open up this box 
And I'm like, <laughs> okay, this should be fun to start playing. I pull out the hex board. I pull out the little punch out things. I spend a lot of time punching <laughs> out all the little things out of the thing. And then all of a sudden I come across this easily six inch tall stack of cards that oh says on the very top card, read all of these cards before beginning play. And I was like, holy crap. And I was into reading. Like I was super, super reedy heavy as a kid, but that was not doing it for me. Well, and I also, as I started reading it, I realized that I'm never going to get my friends to read this much. Mm. Like, I'm not going to get anyone to sit down and play this with me. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a funny start for someone who then, you know, became a game designer. But yeah, my, my first encounter with D&D was, who the heck am I going to find you know? to do this? Well, God, I was I was talking with someone who their first experience with, uh, like, with D&D or RPGs in general was um, they were going to a bachelor party um, and they were going to do D&D at the bachelor party. Um, and the prep for that was that the GM for the game sent the full player's manual as a PDF to everyone in the party and was oh, like, hey God. guys, read this. Yeah. And as a GM for, and, and as a, like, a longtime uh, GM for uh, like D&D games, that's psychotic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that, Not a helpful intro. Pretty much, pretty much doomed to fail. Absolutely. Um, a, a fraught and... Uh, Miss and misthought concept at, at the get go. No one is going to read cover to cover the player's manual as their first experience, even their tenth experience. The- I say, not having read the player's manual cover to cover, <laughs> and the PDF <laughs> of it too. Uh huh. <laughs> I've looked at that PDF. I attempted once, I think, to read the PDF cover to cover, but I don't think I got through chapter two. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wow. Boy, this is what's really going to pull the nerds out of the woodwork to roast us. Me not reading the, the player's manual cover to cover and calling myself an experienced GM. Come get me, internet. <laughs> for me. <laughs> so that was that was technically my very first uh, exposure to, uh, to role-playing. Um, the point at which I really uh, got into it in a, in a consistent way was high school. So in high school, I started playing games more seriously and more regularly and mm. we were primarily playing Shadowrun and Earthdawn um and uh yeah Earthdawn most people either know know it very deeply or not at all uh Shadowrun I've found more people have have heard of that um because Shadowrun's still kind of going on right this oh, is yeah. where I reveal my ignorance yeah. about Shadowrun because mm-hmm. it didn't really grab me in the last in the last three years I have prepped for but not gotten to play in three Shadowrun campaigns <laughs> <laughs> nice I have not played it personally, but I, I I continuously hear the same experience, which is uh, the greatest thing about Shadowrun is its world building and all of that flavor and texture that it puts into this like cool cyberpunk fantasy setting. And the worst thing about Shadowrun is literally every version of every rule of anything that has been written to run Shadowrun. Yeah. That's why the only good version of Shadowrun are the computer games, the computer RPGs, which are excellent, by the Uh way. Highly recommended to enjoy Shadowrun without having to roll 30 (laughs) dice if you want to shoot a guy. That was that was really the problem with Earthdawn as well, was that your dice pools got huge because the system for increasing your it it was so needlessly complicated. Um, it was using every single die in in the full full set, sometimes multiples. Mm-hmm. You know, you're rolling two d12s plus one d6 plus two d4s, 
it, it just it no no thank you um, it was really but you know it, I wouldn't want to try and play it now because I don't think that my my like middle-aged brain could handle it but as, as a high schooler it was fine and the world is gorgeous I would enjoy playing mm-hmm. in that world again um and it it kind of set a nice tone for the sorts of games that I would seek out later because Earth Dawn is very much a um it's actually kind of, you could very legitimately describe it as a post-apocalyptic setting except that it's mm-hmm. so post-apocalypse that the world has kind of greened over again yeah and so mm-hmm. people are coming back out of these underground bunkers into a world where magic has finally started to resume like it, it the magic had been depleted mm-hmm. there was a horrible accident there were extra dimensional creatures everyone went into these underground cures and they're finally coming back out again um yeah, so that was that was sort of my my big step into it. And that was also the first time I had a regular group. So that was when I started mm-hmm. to discover role-playing culture and, and find other role players and start to go to a game store and collect dice and buy the books and uh yeah, that was that was really my, my foray into more of the uh the the group kind of milieu that way. Um, I tried to run some games with uh, people in college. We did have a fairly regular group, but that was where I really kind of discovered uh, where I I encountered the ubiquity of D&D again for Mm -hmm. the first time. Um, And so that was mostly what I played in college. Um, And I think I think I kind of moved away from gaming for a couple of years Um, after school. uh, I went and lived in Japan for a little while, um, Mm -hmm. came back. Uh, was trying to figure out what I wanted to do, went down the the whole uh, drama therapy path, um, and then kind of, yeah, changed changed gears. There were a number of things that happened that kind of knocked me out of the clinical sphere. It was just, it was really stressful in ways that I could not uh, sufficiently reduce mm-hmm. for myself to be in in constant, immediate contact with the profound inadequacies of our mental health care system um and so i had to make a personal decision that that was just that was not sustainable work for me um and so i wanted to find something where i could pull together a lot of that experience and the training and uh because you know i had just dedicated nearly a decade to getting Mm -hmm. an advanced degree and going through clinical practicum and, and, and doing all of the internship work and deep, deep training in all of this. So I felt like I had something that I wanted to find another way to share with people. And I had been starting to write games on my own as a stress reduction strategy. And uh, that was around the time that I met Lara um, and got to play uh, by the author of Lady Windermere's fan with her at Big Bad Con. Um, which was such a, like, I signed up for it almost as kind of a dare to Lara without having met her yet. I was like, you claim that you have written a game in which we will improvise an Oscar Wilde style play. I dare you to prove this to me. I am signing up for you right now. And she came through with absolute flying fucking colors. And so after we finished, I just wandered up to her in the in the room. was like, hey, are you doing anything after this? And she's like, no. And I'm like, do you want to go and hang out downstairs and like, you know, chat and become best friends? And she was like, sure. So we did. <laughs> and that was great. Um, I've got to say, playing an RPG on a dare feels like a, a thing Oscar, Oscar Wilde characters would do. Would too. absolutely do. 
Um, and so, yeah, we, uh, you know, we've, we've kind of brought our two great tastes that taste great together, um, into multiple game designs now, um, which, uh, has been so incredibly fun. Uh, but yeah, that was, I think, I think, you know, playing that game with Lara, uh, A Penny from My Thoughts by Paul Tevis was another one that really just like broke my brain open in terms of what role-playing games can be, um. And he really? is he is a designer. Yeah, um, I, I, I would be delighted to run it for y'all sometime. It's an amazing game. Mm. Um, and he has an improv background. So kind of similar to the theater kid thing. He wrote a game that is very improv inspired. Um, so, yeah, I think that's that's kind of where a lot of that comes from. Yeah. Um, well, so, what yeah. about that really broke your brain open? Like you're saying. Um, so a penny for my thoughts has this amazing mechanic where it really is, um, it is, it is lightly structured to give you the skills that, um, that improv actors already have internalized, Mm. um, the yes and the positive building on things, the ability to sort of offer information in the form of a question and have the other person build on it. And the game itself is in its base setting, you are a group of patients at an institute who have all experienced amnesia. You don't remember your life, Um, but you have taken an experimental drug that gives you access to other people's memories. And so together you can all access each other's memories more fully than any of you would be able to do by yourselves. And so you are in like a, a group therapy setting where you are assisting each other in remembering what happened to you that caused you to lose your memory. And so the stories build in this really incredible way. And there's this wonderful mechanic with a penny where you ask, you tell as much as you could remember. And mechanically it's, it's an incredible mind fuck actually, because mechanically (laughs) you're doing the opposite of what all of us are used to doing because you, as the, the narrator of your own story, you can remember and narrate absolutely everything in the world except for your character's own actions anytime you get to a point where your character needs to respond to the world you pick up one of your pennies and you say and what was it that i said or did next and you ask two different people they each give you an option you decide which one you like you give them the penny and you say that's right i remember now i blah 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 and then and you narrate how the world responds back to you and this is how the story builds Right. And it was just this brain breaking thing that taught me this amazing skill of if I'm stuck in a design, flip the roles or look at it from the other perspective, like figure out, okay, this isn't this isn't the place where I can move forward on this path. Who can? Which role has access in this moment? So cool. So there are all of these kind of like, yeah, it's, it's just a wonderful way to kind of flip design on its head. That's that's awesome. Oh, what, yeah. a, what a cool yeah. exploration. It's wild to me that that game is so obscure because it's so good. Like, it's just, it's so simple and beautiful and, and juicy. And that through line absolutely runs through your work as well. Uh, Thank you, know, you. Yeah. Yeah. The pilot in the ships uh, from ships that pass, like, I mean, Moss and I were absolutely informing each other's backgrounds as we were hugely, playing. Hugely. Um, so th- that yeah that that's very cool and present in your current work i totally mm-hmm. see it yeah there was a lot of like yes anding that we got to do through getting to play the pilots of the other ship mm-hmm. yeah i feel like also there weren't a ton of places in ships that pass that require or suggest that the pilots interact but we did get a little bit of pilot pilot interaction and that was very entertaining in its own way too mm-hmm. amazing um, and i think 
I think in a way it was kind of delightful to me that some of the most awkward social interaction was when it was two humans trying to talk to each other. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We, we had ended up kind of alternating like on our passes, like we kind of, uh, it was every other pass was either a ship to ship communication scene or a pilot to pilot communication scene. Um, which mm-hmm. was, and then we'd sort of fill in yeah. what was happening between the ships while the pilots were talking, but we wouldn't That's like fantastic. narrate the ship to ship part or, as or vice much versa. in detail. And I think yeah. that that helped keep things like um, that helped keep things fresh and mm-hmm. um, like the narrative from looking at it from different facets of what's going on, uh, experiencing different emotions for ostensibly the same scene. Um, it was really mm-hmm. cool to do. Oh, that just fills me with joy. I'm also just curious, like, um, how much have you gotten to, like, hear about or be present for, like, other sessions of these games? Like, either Weasels Are Illegal or Ships That Pass. Because I know I, when I've, like, I only have one game that I've gotten to playtest, like, really extensively. And I, like, save notes and things and remember character bits from times that I've gotten to see or hear about people playing uh, this party sucks, and I'm cu- I'm curious. As, <laughs> I'm curious as to notable weasels and spaceships. Absolutely, if there are there are, are for interesting um, moments. That a little stand bit more for ships memory. because uh, a couple of um, different people have played it and recorded it and posted it. So I've had mm. a chance to listen to uh, to playthroughs. Um, mm-hmm. Not not nice. a whole lot though, and weasels. I don't think I've ever gotten to hear. Uh, witness a game that i wasn't actively in for weasels um except for y'all's of course which is amazing until today my first until well this is a gift to you it's 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 really interesting how uh in a way they're kind of it's it's like they're all um all of the characters are like new friends of my friends kind of thing where i'm just like (laughs) oh look some new little ships have joined how wonderful and like i just i just adore all of them so much in this very caring creative sort of way of of Mm -hmm. you know that that there are these new sweet beautiful stories that are pouring out into the world because someone did me the huge honor and favor of engaging with my art Mm. and that's in in so many ways you know with a background in theater uh I think that really I'm also a sculpture artist, I'm also a visual artist, but those those are they're satisfying in different ways that isn't quite as like core to who I am as performative mm-hmm. art is. And theater for me is one of the fastest way for me to just directly mainline that relationship of saying like, yes, I am here. You are there. I am doing this for you. You're giving Fair. me back energy in return. You're letting me know what you think and it is affecting my performance and that's cool. And let's just, you know, let's, let's do this. Um, and with, with writing the games, there's, there's this interesting anxiety that sometimes comes up. Like when I see that someone has bought a copy of one of my games on itch, I have this little like, please be kind to them. Like, and, and that's honestly directed in both like to both my game and the person who bought it. I'm like, I hope that you two get along well. Go, go on. Go on, go make some friends. It's your first day at camp. Oh. You're doing great, you know. Well, don't worry. John made sure that we were kind to each other. Um, I, I could have stabbed everything and let it let, let us go down in flames dramatically. But and honestly, like sure we that, that is part of being kind is is being kind enough to allow 
a story to be told that affects you in ways that are not always comfortable. Like, Mm -hmm. I think that's a beautiful Mm -hmm. way to engage with this art is to use it to tell a story where like it is tragic or it is hard or it doesn't quite work out. Uh, Because again, like, you know, it's all just like, you're just having that experience with each other. And now that's an added richness for the two of you because you recorded it and shared it. It's an added richness for the rest of us. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, if you ascribe to the multiverse theory, you created an entirely new, amazing place where that really happened, you know, that kind of and, thing. Yeah. And, and like, and for the game, like I wasn't comfortable going there with those characters. I, I wanted, I wanted something like, I wanted something good for these characters because I felt yeah. so much like care and compassion towards them. And so that was a, that was one of like the really big step backs that me and Moss did was Moss That's Moss really was yeah. Moss was fine. It's like I'll I'm cool with burning it all down. For <laughs> sure, was, right? Yeah. Um, and I was like, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And listening to the enthusiastic consent of your play partner. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Exactly. And we did. We talked about that. And essentially, like again, like it is the same mechanics as King. Uh-huh. It's the same mechanics as theater. Yeah. It's like. There's a whole bunch of overlap, you know, because it's all about like, yeah, honest and respectful communication towards the physical and emotional safety of the people involved. Hell yes. and it's like, hey, like, let's call a timeout and check in about our goals. Do we have a shared goal here? And we also talked again about like the theater level. It's like we're recording this to share with yeah, others. Right. How does that change or affect how we want to tell the story and what kind of story mm-hmm. we want to tell? You know, in terms of content, in terms of Absolutely, pacing. Because I know that I like certainly i was definitely trying to be mindful of of, of like telling a story to an audience which is this which is ostensibly yeah. what we're doing by publishing these online mm-hmm. so i wanted to like you know pull narrative threads that felt consistent and satisfying and if we did create drama i wanted it to be uh like paid off and an organic like there's nothing that gets under my skin mm-hmm. like um artificial drama and stress in tabletop um and like it's obviously a journey that people like that everybody goes on to like figure out like what does work in these kinds of settings like how do i i want this kind of action how do i enable these emotions but it was definitely an area for uh for me in this where it's like i want i definitely we don't we don't get to sit down with the audience afterwards to talk about what tried yeah. and what worked and what didn't. Sure. I mean, besides here, I guess. So what do we scaffold now? <laughs> and you don't yeah. you don't have that live theater yeah. benefit of mm-hmm. immediate energetic response. Exactly. Like you can feel mm-hmm. so quickly when you're losing an audience on stage mm-hmm. and you can pivot. Yep. You know, you yeah. can you can change aspects of your performance within the restrictions of whatever performance you're yeah. doing to try yeah. and kind of get them back on. But yeah, in a recorded medium and and it's it's one of the things that I'm extra grateful to y'all for engaging with my art in this, you know, observed way uh, mm-hmm. in order to share it with a larger audience, but also taking on that additional personal burden uh, responsibility of of saying, OK, so I'm not just here to play a fun you know game and tell an yeah. interesting story with my friend. I'm also creating this additional piece of art that is going to be. Uh, yeah be shared much more widely yeah yeah and also privilege you know like it, it sure. feels good mm-hmm. to do this um and but yeah like it, it definitely like i definitely thought about like making this a like the good take for other people and making this like yeah. the like yeah this is the narrative thread that i think is going to be most satisfying for other people to listen to in addition to paying off our characters 
Um, so it's definitely, it was absolutely a non-zero quantity um, That's awesome. that we, we discussed. Uh, but I think that we, we were able to like thread that in a way that felt satisfying and like things that we like both consented to go like going towards in these like in our moments of like conflict in in, in the story mm-hmm. and between characters um so it was yeah really it was good. really really good and i think i i think our story kicks so much ass um so I'm, I'm so excited <laughs> to hear the second part and then the it's genuinely one of my favorite that. yeah <laughs> it's i think it's one of my favorite like recorded plays of anything i've ever been in Absolute and i've same. been in a few like in this and other like various you know stuff on streams that probably isn't around anymore <laughs> I'm but delighted i think this is one of my favorites I'm just delighted you gave us a really fun scaffold to work with mm-hmm. oh thank you yeah and i also feel like we could play this game again and it could be something totally different 100%. like even just the stuff we were riffing on at the beginning like we before we settled on our ship archetypes we were also considering maybe like pleasure cruise mm-hmm. ship yeah. as an option and there's clearly so many other things you could do with like type of spaceship. You could also, I mean, you could you could do a class, you could do some classic Star Trek shit, you yeah. know, or you could do some some totally. mashups. You could have a you could have a Star Trek exploration vessel and a Star Wars like fighter Amazing. fighting Absolutely. Like, <laughs> ship. Yeah, crash yeah. crash one into each them, other from out of one two of them realities is in this world where love. it's all about like yeah. diplomacy and and they're doing this whole thing. The other one is just like. It is wild out here. What are you talking yeah. about? <laughs> I don't I don't know what you're referring to. I'm so sorry. <laughs> you could do some really wacky stuff. There is I think amazing. a lot of fun directions it could go. Um, I also think this almost feels like it would become a hack, but because I brought up ancillary justice earlier, I feel like I have to say it. Mm-hmm. I think it could be really messy and interesting to tell a story where the pilot and the ship have a direct neural interface. Yeah. yeah. And like the pilot and the ship are not necessarily, uh, hy- hyper distinct entities from each other. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think that's definitely a different, like, a de- it's, a de- it's definitely a different mm-hmm. game. Uh, yeah, I, I really but like, I feel like having you could different play with it separate entities working together, yeah. like that allyship and collaboration. I think is like, yeah, mm-hmm. critical to this game. But that's a cool like spin off, a hack of that this one. Yeah, exactly. For something different, <laughs> for sure. Maybe ships that pass becomes one of the mini games in a much mm-hmm. larger space based <laughs> kind of like we're telling mm-hmm. the story about these ships, and here mm-hmm. is one piece of how we do that. But then there are also yeah. these other like mini games you can choose, yeah. like. Yeah, here's like I'm gonna get a neural link interact. with my ship. Yeah, yeah uh huh. You know, or it could be like a back and forth where you've got, um, like this. Some some scenes are like by neural linked human bodies connected to the ship out in other locations, and then some scenes are the ship itself up in space. Mm-hmm. Um, and the different perspectives you get on like events through those different lenses. Could be oh, very fun. So good. Yeah, that's yeah. amazing. And of course, if I'm writing it, it'll probably be tragic, so maybe it'll do the answer. <laughs> where, like, you, it means you f- feel a bunch of your other selves die. Right, uh, you might actually, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's me. Not that I don't like hope in my games. I mean, I end this sucks with hopefulness. <laughs> like, like, I, I swear, I, not all my games stories. are grim. I, but I really like, I really like grim stories. <laughs> I like getting to do intentional opt-in tragedy with people. They can be super cathartic. Mm-hmm. yeah very much and there's a lot of fun in building that tension with other people um that reminds me a lot of a game that uh, i've been working on with my co-writer julian <laughs> butcher that laura just helped us play test and get uh the final piece to really get where now feel like we have a fully written game um where uh as a whodunit you're trying to tell a story that is full of suspense and tension and build those feelings into it 
And it's something that, that you do. Like we, we discovered at first we thought just throw everything into it and let the players just escalate as much as they want. (laughs) And that actually wasn't great. Like it was overwhelming. And when we tried to play it, we were overwhelmed. So reducing it down and really compacting things into little, like, kind of mystery bullions that you can then drop into the game and they expand (laughs) to fill whatever space you have has worked a lot better for us um, in those kinds of things. And it has really changed the way that I design for intensity. So mystery bullions is amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You, you. I was going to say you have the best metaphors. You have this. Yeah. You you are wonderfully poetic with your descriptions. It's, it's really lovely to interview you. Yeah. I think we all want a game theory book out of you sometime. I think also, or at least Uh at least a cool essay or whatever, a Ted talk. But I also, (laughs) when you said the mystery bullions, they expand to fill the shape. I also pictured those like, did any of you ever have those little like eggs the that little become dinosaur, a dinosaur foam things yeah. you drop in the water? The little dinosaur sponges. Yes. Yeah. I also I also pictured those, but realized I couldn't switch to that in the middle of the metaphor. So I figured I'd just leave it as an exercise for the listener. And I'm so glad you sparked it in the collective worked. consciousness of the Discord call. No worries. It's incredible. Really yeah. My my favorite dragon based media are the sponges. <laughs> grow out of are dragon sponges. Oh my god. Best answer. <laughs> New challenge. Write a write an RPG that uses those little expanding sponges as a mechanical oh. element in some way. That would be so good. Oh, that sounds fascinating. <laughs> that would be awesome. Yeah. You like, don't know what shape it's going to become until you drop it Perfect. in the water. And so like, as a move, you it's put like it in It's like an augury game. Like Different things happen depending on what shape you yeah, get. Yeah, you don't know. It's like divining... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Oh, so now it's a supplement. Um, has Have you played Escape from Dino Island? Because there is a game that you can do your own Jurassic Park story in. And that would be hilarious. Maybe that would be a mechanic you could give to the person who does the playbook of being the kid, <laughs> where, like, they can generate a new challenge that gets added in. I-, I love it for its playbook design. There are little side <laughs> columns on each playbook that are, like, a snippet of some kind of informational text that you might expect that character to have. So, like, on the playbook for playing a kid, it's mm-hmm. dinosaur jokes. On the playbook for being, like, a doctor nice. or medic, it's, like, first aid processes. If you're the paleontologist, it's just like anatomical sketches of some dinosaurs. Um, so it's like a diegetic. Really it's like a diegetic That's note column cool. on the side of your I character see. sheet to help you get into character. Um, Perfect. As as someone who is going through the design process for a bunch of character sheets for their own PBTA mm-hmm. game, that is fascinating. Steal it. It's good. I can I can send mm-hmm. you I can send you these <laughs> character sheets to look at. But I also, do it, do it, do it. while we're talking about all just the, the fun, weird things that we like in games, um, Ash, the tradition on this podcast is also that as our current interviewee, you get to be our, our diviner, our auger. You get to tell us the future mm-hmm. uh, by telling us what game we are going to play next. You get to recommend to us our next game slash designer that we should look into. Yes. And I knew this was coming. <laughs> and I tried so hard to prepare for it. You can suggest more than one thing. Also, John has mm-hmm. met many editing powers, as does Leah. This is good to know. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> um, there, yeah, there are. I mean, Penny for the Penny for your thoughts has already made the list. Honestly, yeah, um, that sounds fascinating. Yeah, that's yeah. so cool. Oh my gosh! Also, yes, the fact that there's stuff you so and fantastic. Laura have written together, even like that's not our next one. I feel like that should be like a bonus or something. Like uh-huh. <laughs> that would be cool. super that's... fun. I would love for us to play some of yeah. our, yeah, some of our our, uh, our collaborative games. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. The magical repair yeah. shop one That's sounded. Good. Or the the sequel to that is um, all magical mm-hmm. creatures, great and small, which uh, I think is even more adorable because really you play cute. a fuzzy mm-hmm. magical animal who is sick yeah. or injured and who and can't has to be talk to help and can only a, communicate through behavior. I gotta think oh, to explain so to the fae healer yeah. what it is that they need in order to heal. <laughs> <laughs> I was ready for you to pull out like the sequel to our uh, the sequel to uh, the magical repair shop aka the uh, fantastical destruction clinic yeah, the magical <laughs> demolition crew <laughs> <laughs> yes. yeah well i think uh so so the question i like to ask on these since we started it as sort of like a trans thing is mm-hmm. to talk about like in what ways does the queer community and tabletop community overlap in experience but we've already talked so much about uh, my, my point being that i think we got we had a much better discussion about like neurodivergence and mm-hmm. tabletops than we would have had about like queer tabletop stuff um, and i, I and i think strange. that like the discussion that we had also naturally lends itself to like the ways in which queer theory is incorporated into these games mm-hmm. like i think that we that, i think that we naturally touched on a lot of those points yeah the push against norms and for, for me the the interaction mm-hmm. between my neurodivergence and my queerness mm-hmm. is so it's so interwoven yeah that it's not impossible for me to separate them it's just that often I find that when I think I'm talking about one of them, suddenly realize I'm actually talking about both. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, you know, or, like, um, when when I first started writing Weasels, I thought it was about my queer experience. And then I realized that I'm autistic and discovered that there were huge autistic metaphors in the game mm-hmm. because... The fact that I didn't know that about myself didn't mean it wasn't true mm-hmm. back then, you know, and, and like a lot of my games that I wrote, you know, before, before that, before, you know, look at things and there, are, and Laura has talked about this too, in terms of, of uh, transition, gender transition that we, you know, looking back at my past artwork and I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, we've been knowing this for mm-hmm. a while. We just hadn't, it hadn't been articulated outside of imaginal space in this mm-hmm. particular label or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, in a lot of ways, the, the experiences of um, either side of, of those aspects of kind of the, the intersection of identities that I, I inhabit. Um, I think about that a lot, actually, in terms of specifically as, as a non-binary trans person and the ways that my autism, I, I realize more and more has always made gender a performative concept for me mm-hmm. before I had words for that. Um, you know, I, I look back at pictures of myself or I remember experiences that I had where it wasn't, um, I didn't have the vocabulary. I didn't have the community. I didn't have anyone else around me who was, able to model any of that but yet the experiences still really uh reflect so clearly that i was i was non-binary from the beginning and and Mm -hmm. did not have a a a permanent home in my assigned gender in uh you know the other binary gender like it just i was all over the place and always have been and that was a source of frustration and confusion until I started to find community and find language for it. And so I think that's also, you know, kind of built into the games of the hope that 
um, these metaphors that resonate for certain reasons for for one particular part of me will resonate for other reasons. Mm -hmm. So ships that pass feels different to me when I think about the autistic aspects versus the trans aspects. And, and my hope is that other people, whether or not they are currently wearing any of these labels, whether they're thinking about these labels, whether they're curious or not, that there will be something in that metaphor that will be resonant for them that can create some kind of connection so that when they look at this piece of art and engage with it by playing it, that there is communication in some form, like going back to that kind mm -hmm. of center of the Venn diagram idea, that something can be communicated about my experience and, and my personhood to that other person by witnessing this, this piece of art. That was beautifully put. And I would definitely yeah, say, wonderful. I feel like I felt a lot of that in Chips That Pass, and I'm, I'm excited for when you get to <laughs> listen to more of it, too. And I'm excited to listen to more of it, too, because I've just been enjoying hearing, like, John's the results of John's edits. Um, but, like... The edits yeah. are so beautiful. It's it's yeah, very lovely. Really beautifully edited. Because um, oh, a thing that I remember, like, comes up for the Osprey and the Xanarchand in particular is the concept of, like, if you are a ship, there may be literal structural programmatic limits to what you can conceptualize yeah. and what you are allowed to do. But those aren't inherently unchanging, both because they're AIs that can grow to grow from experience and also they can be mechanically altered and affected. Yeah. And that's like the thematics of like learning that there are other options and figuring out what to do with the fact that there are other options, even if it's like scary and risky to break the norms. Again, as you said, there's so many different resonant layers for what that can bring up for people. Um, yeah. And that was part of what I enjoyed about our story. So often, AIs uh, take impression from their pilots, yeah. don't they, Moss? <laughs> that became, like, the big, <laughs> a big, big theme in ours was, like, the ways, like, AIs and pilots, like, feed each other informationally and emotively. Mm. Yeah. We, we, we're mm. sort of building, building our ongoing, like, technological and norm system understanding of how our particular version of that reality, like, did its <laughs> control systems on AIs, you know, and, like, what they were so looking cool. for. Yeah. And you'll get into it. It'll, people will hear it in the episode. But yeah, there's like periodic psych evals for pilots, especially if they're going to be single person That's crews. So um, yeah. But they're kind of nominal. <laughs> like You're just like, yes, <laughs> let me go back on the ship. I promise I'm not uh -huh. losing my connection to humanity, blah, blah. Yeah, I, I absolutely designed that scene and, and that kind of banter uh, to reflect the kinds of like um, mental health evals that I've done, where it's like yeah. the the only way that I found it was possible to see like psychiatric help with the things that I had was if I ha was, if I was able to tell a doctor, this is getting in the way of me doing my job. Yep. Like I could, I could, I could mention anything about emotional dysregulation and I, and you, you don't get the pills until you tell them that it's getting in the way of work. But if you check that box, you get, you then, Hey, we oh. got it for you, pal. Mm -hmm. uh, it's yep. like, great. <laughs> how my ability how, to do how incredibly reductive yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> i can no longer do a capitalism please assist mm -hmm. but also you you can't say that you're too incapable of doing a capitalism because then you get forcibly institutionalized so uh-huh right. <sighs> yeah and and somehow we're right back to what knocked me I, out of the mental health care system started... shocker yeah <laughs> uh, uh what were you saying ollie yeah sorry ollie I was just gonna say, I remember, I, like, when I first started, like, reaching out to people, like, hey, I think something 
is wrong or different it was always no everything's fine you're really smart and good at school and then i started uh like falling behind in school and it was like hey something's oh really God. wrong uh, gotta do something too about real this right yeah. now uh Mm. Well, I think I think it sounds like our, our <laughs> conclusion to this episode that ties back thematically into your arc uh, as a creator, Ash, is uh, <laughs> fucks, fuck institutionally yeah. violent systems, which include but are not limited to uh, <laughs> cisgender true. capitalist heteropatriarchy and also big facets of the mental health care systems. There, there you go. That that should be our... We were talking about new taglines for the show. That should be our tagline. I mean, Fuck I mean the, our opener is already a tongue twister. We can have we can have a massive, a massive tagline. Fuck at the institutional end violence. Yeah. <laughs> have a good day, everyone. All right, Leah. Now you have to recite that word for yep. word at the start of every I episode from now on. Gladly undertake this challenge. <laughs> oh yeah, I was just gonna say thank you so much for for coming on the show. Um, it means a ton to us that you're willing to to stoop to our level. To... <laughs> but uh, yeah, do you want to tell people where they can find you? Oh, absolutely. Thank you. And um, there is there is no stooping involved. My knees wouldn't be able to take it anyway. But um, <laughs> I am I am so touched and so grateful uh, for all of you that uh, you engaged with my art, that you invited me here, that we had this amazing conversation, and I look forward to uh, continuing to uh, just glom myself onto this podcast katamari that's how it works (laughs) so as long as y'all have me i'm i'm delighted to be here you'll find there is no leave server button under the discord drop down so you're stuck here (laughs) it is a katamari (laughs) it's just like a big katamari of game designers (laughs) it's just gonna keep rolling it's the discord california perfect Uh, yeah, I have um, I have a, a Patreon, ashcheshire dot uh, Patreon dot or dot Patreon slash ashcheshire. That's how that one works. Um, I also have an itch. Uh, it's uh, ashcangames dot itch dot io. Ashcangames, and so can you. Um, and I'm on Twitter at the ashcheshire and at ashcangames. Beautiful, awesome, wonderful. Oh, did we decide what game we're gonna play next? Is it gonna be? Super did no. not. TBD. It sounds like a penny for That's thoughts okay. is in yeah, the running. We can stick that in later. Yeah, TBD G- would be give great. Give us a lot um, of time to think about <laughs> it. Uh, I have a designer in mind, but I want to check in with M and see which games it would recommend. Ooh. Um, oh. But I'm thinking uh, Avon McConaughey would be a fun um, person to look into. I was just looking at air games on itch and there are a couple of different ones that appeal to me. So I don't want to name any immediately. Well, by all means, yeah, ask them, so invite them to be uh, a sort of games uh, sommelier and exactly, suggest exactly. a flavor that might work well have, for this. I'm going to have uh, Avon be my, my gamelier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. That, yeah. sounds, that sounds different. It, it still works fine, but yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm very oh, excited awesome. for that. I look forward to that very much um yeah uh let's let's go down the roster john do you have anything you wanted to say at the end of the show no plugs yet music city's on the way yep uh laura hi i'm laura page turner you can find me <laughs> on the internet at glaveguizarm.com or on twitter at glaveguizarm glaveguizarm it's the best kind of stick <laughs> It's got a knife on it. It's it's got a knife and silent ease. Someone came in and sold us a glave at my store, and I, I please put a display. <laughs> find a way to put a display of some of Lara's games next oh, to man. the glaive. All you got to do is 
weld a hook onto the back of that glaive and it's going to be a proper proper glaive with arm amazing what? You can so, use it to get Batman comics. We're selling glaves. I know. Uh, I was about to say. Ollie say works like... at a RuneScape store where people craft glaives and bring them in for well, coin. <laughs> we sell like uh, swords. People collect and stuff and stuff like hey, that. Okay. Uh, okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. The sword comic RPG <laughs> Venn diagram. Yeah. I'm not surprised, but that is funny. It absolutely sounded like someone came in and was like, hey, I'd really love to pick up Batman Court of Owls, but uh, can I pay you in this? In weaponry, Batman. <laughs> can I barter with medieval weaponry? Do you accept glaives? <laughs> How many comic can I get for this? Well, I can't remember if someone was selling us a glaive or buying a glaive from us, but there was a glaive involved in a transaction. Well, I, I'm just going to put this out for, for the audience. Uh, if you give me a glaive, you get all of my games in <laughs> perpetuity forever. One of everything. So nice. that's a standing off. Hashtag mail Laura a glaive. <laughs> Moss, do you want to tell us about beating the binary? Yes. Yeah. You can find me at beatingthebinary.itch.io. I have a bunch of uh, small games and games about queerness and feelings. And I actually have a new thing. I haven't designed a lot, but I was recently, probably less recently by the time this episode goes live, part of a hybrid uh, in-person and online, I was in the online portion, uh, game jam uh, called Clitical Hits that was a sex education game jam that brought together game designers and sexual health educators to make educational games. Um, And so I would encourage folks to both check out my group's uh, contribution to that, which is Alien Diplomats, a mini edgelarp about uh, emotions and uh, being uh, alien diplomats whose translator software has broke, who are trying to repair your tiny spaceship that runs on feelings without being able to communicate directly. <laughs> uh, we designed it with the concept that it could be used as like a multi-part icebreaker that you would do with a middle school age group as an intro to like healthy relationships classes. But also, if you cool. you can find that through my itch. And you can also find, uh, if you go to itch.io forward slash jam forward slash clinical hyphen hits, you can look at all of the game submissions and the overview of the event and see uh, many of the cool designers who are involved. Because people made a range of stuff, and a lot of it's in draft form, so they're going to get even more cool and developed over time. Uh, People did stuff like a game where you are... uh, aliens beaming into the bodies of consenting humans to experience human sensory input. Um, That's sort of like a mindfulness activity about being kind to your body. Uh, There is Mm. a carnival-themed edgelarp about consent skills. Um, There is one where you are uh, all part of, like, the script-writing team of a soap opera trying to rewrite to make the dramatic, perfect, like, sex and or romance scene to end a a soap opera series um, as a way of, like, talking about desire with partners, and I don't think it's up on the jam page yet, but one I'm really excited for is a speed dating themed game where half of the players are people and half of the players are anthropomorphized birth control methods. And so you are like conceptually speed dating to figure out what kind of birth control method is a good match for you. So yeah, Clinical Hits Jam, super cool. Also a really like thoughtfully and effectively run hybrid event where it was like a Mm. small scale masked in-person event in the Twin Cities and then also they had a gather, um, like, online platform space. And we got to, like, interact even with the people who were there in person. They had, like, good audio hookups and systems. So that was a long ramble. But, yeah, uh, Clinical Hits Jam. Go read Alien Diplomats. 
It's a beautiful, scrappy little draft, but I'm very proud of it. And if actual sex educators used it, um, that would make my heart absolutely explode. Yeah, this seems Tremendous. like the, the coolest form of edutainment for, for that kind of stuff. <laughs> we had a good time with it. Uh, Ollie, any any age hams updates? Uh, no updates, just still... Uh, well, I mean, the update is that they're overhauling the printing system, so I think right now already everything... Uh, it's 40% off everything in the shop. Uh, because they're selling at their old stock, uh, and when the new printing system goes into effect, you'll be able to have custom messages, and there will be even more strange cards. For the first time, there will be strange cards available. Before, all the cards were <laughs> yep. normal, um, but now you'll be able to get strange things. Well, you heard um, it here, everybody. And... Go buy a bunch of 40% off HAMs, wait for the new printing, and then rebuy them in better <laughs> printed HAMs. Duly noted. Well, it's going to be new designs after oh. the... Um, so buy there... these now because they'll be collector's items. Um, well, thank you again so much, Ash, for coming on and talking uh, with us about your games and your process uh, and your incredibly deep knowledge of game design theory, which, again, uh, if you write that book, we will plug it till mm-hmm. you know the end. And, uh, yeah, um, thank you thank just so you. much for... for yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's been such a delight. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm once again, just thank all of you so much. Yeah, thank you for absolutely. the same. And uh, welcome to the game game design, Katamari. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And then to walk us out, uh, this has been GTRTP, brought to you by the gender expanding sponge dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> <Nailed it. laughs>